What's going on, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter, on a great, great episode of the Matt Baxter Show. I am hanging out with Mary Omig, the CEO and co-founder of Boom Learning, and we dive deep about education. We dive deep into making the whole experience for teachers and learning just better, and it's so awesome, and it's so fun, and Mary is just a wealth of knowledge. She comes from such an amazing wide range of experience and depth background. And so if you're looking uh, as a listener to one, learn more about the educational path and new tech that's evolving and growing and happening in this space, this podcast is for you. Also, Mary's just awesome. And so I learned a lot. I enjoyed this. Mary, just thank you for the person that you are. And so very excited to continuously following along all the things that you are doing at Boom Learning. And uh, yeah, just thank you for the impact that you have. I hope all the other listeners on the show get just as much joys as I did. Thank you. Mary, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Hey, Matt, it's great to be here. So where in the world are you recording from? I am recording from Kirkland, Washington. Uh, I can kind of see the lake in the summer and the um, just down the way. So I get to enjoy mountains and lakes, my two favorite things. So I might have to venture up your way because I have been to 47 states. I have not been to Washington, Oregon, or Hawaii. Uh, do not come here in October and November unless you're really fond of experiencing a deluge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Prime time is late July, but everyone else comes here then too because it's beautiful and the smoke usually hasn't settled in too much. I love that. And we get similar in Michigan, like you suffer through January and February and March to get to like July in Michigan, which is like one of the most beautiful places in the planet. Uh, but similar sort of thing. That's when everybody else in the world decides to travel here too. So I get it. Yeah. If you come in January, February, bring your skis, Nordic or Alpine. Where <laughs> I live, I've got three mountains in a two hour or less drive and more if I'm willing to drive three miles, three hours. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Well, Mary, I'm excited to do this podcast. I'm excited to, you know, get to know you more. Um, I'd love, you know, do you mind just like sharing your story? I'd love to know more about you, who you are, but just, you know, feel free to start however you want to go, but I'd, I'd love just to, you know, hear your story. Well, where we are today is we are a fully bootstrapped business. That means we don't have any outside funding. Um, Co-founded by my husband and I, we've got 11 million student users. And, uh, you know, these are actually more than that. That's our minimum there. And over 2.1 million teacher users. We're in large districts and small districts. And we got there in what was frankly for an entrepreneur, the scariest and most painful way possible. we were on a nice upward growth path. We were on the cusp of building all those pipeline things you need to do traditional growth, building out marketing pipelines, sales pipelines, all of that. And where I sit from my office, I can see the the fire station that got quarantined early in 2020. Um, it's 0.6 miles from the, the care facility that was heavily impacted early on. So we kind of had a front row seat to how things were going to change. And so I told my co-founder, um, after I'd done it, that I had told our customers we would be giving away our most expensive um, subscription until June 30th of 2020. Um, my co-founder, who's our coder, looked at me and said, oh, 
okay, if you think that's wise, I better write some code. So I was manually fulfilling those first requests. It was a little insane. Yep. Yep. I can only imagine. (laughs) Uh, By July of 2020, we had people start paying as early as April and May to continue the subscription into the following year. Um, By July, you know, a lot of people got paid to stay home. So we were scrambling to hire, absolutely scrambling. It was a really hard time to hire. So we were just reaching through all of our networks saying, do you want a job? You want a job? Can I hire you? And some worked out and some didn't. And so I remember kind of in July, I was working seven days a week, really long days. Every kind of Wednesday at about one in the afternoon, I'd go have a brief anxiety shake fest. <laughs> yep. You just got to go scream into your pillow. You got to go, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever it is to let it loose. I get it. Yeah, you just have to walk away a little bit and go, breathe. Yeah. Into it. So everything's fine while everything's burning up around you. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I get it. You know, you will survive. Um, So it was an excruciating way to grow. So we we grew from a little under half a million a year to over ten million in less than six months. Congrats! Um, It's amazing. So, so, but very very challenging. And so you know, just trying to build a business super super fast. And so you can do it. It's tough. It can be done um, if you're willing to be really adaptive and on the fly and um, and creative. So we did. We got people hired in. A lot of those people are still with us. A, a few didn't last, um, but for the most part, they stayed with us. We had decided early on we were going to take um, inspiration from a couple other companies that had chosen to be fully virtual. We have three children. They are often in three different schools with a lot of different activities. And I had lived in the Bay Area for seven years. And when I moved up here, I was like, I will never commute across a bridge again. <laughs> um, and then after you know about three years of commuting to Microsoft, even on the same side of a bridge, I was like, if I don't have to do that drive again, I'd be oh so happy. <laughs> and then when you put that on top of needing to get kids places, et cetera, um, you know, when they were young, we had au pairs doing this. But as they got older, it didn't make sense to have an au pair, but they still had to get everywhere. So we just both kind of looked at each other and why wouldn't we want that time back to either put into our family or into our business? So it was a conscious choice on our part to be fully remote. And then it became a matter of just looking for people who thrive in that. You know, you have to be a self-starter. You have to be someone who can manage your own workload. Um, you have to be someone who's comfortable speaking up when you don't know things. Um, confessing your ignorance is a skill. Um, telling someone you need help is a skill. It's surprising people who don't have that. Um, one of our company uh, values is accountability. So saying, I made a mistake. What needs to be done to fix it? Uh, we've fired someone for failing on that um, value, for getting defensive about a mistake and and kind of not being helping fix it. But we've never fired anyone who said, I made a mistake. How do we fix it? So mm-hmm. there's just certain values that you have to have in a fully remote. And one of them is just being transparently honest, raising a flag early, saying, I think I might have made a mistake. Uh, so you can stay on top of it and manage it. 
So we really look for people who aren't afraid to be vulnerable, to be honest, to be open, to say what's going on, but at the same time can make connections with people remotely who have good written communication skills because there's a lot of chat conversations. There's a lot of uh, quick conversations through chat that aren't call. But at the same time, you know, having that really, really hard to learn skill of knowing when to stop chatting and start a call. Um, as you know, you know, sometimes face-to-face is the only way to solve a problem. And you can do that with calls, but you got to recognize when you've tripped over that spot. So we've grown from what was two and a half people in early 2020 to we're now at 28 employees. So that means we've tripped along over some compliance stuff as we grew. You know, you trip over ADA compliance at about 15 employees and and so on as you grow. So you you go from having, you know, these really easy, cheap tools that you start out with that you're like, oh, we can do this and use the free tier to going, wow, we've outgrown that. We've got to transition to something more robust, more useful. We're actually going through a few of those transitions this summer, and that's always challenging on figuring out where should we transition to, um, how much should we spend, which teams transition, when do they transition, but it's all part of growing. And, you know, I know one of your themes is what gets you up in the morning. What gets me up in the morning is a problem to solve. Hmm. Yep. As, as long as there is an interesting problem to be solved in the world somewhere, I'll get out of bed in the morning. I love that. And, you know, it's it's interesting. So we talked about this a little bit pre-show. It's like I own a startup myself and we, uh, we've we got about 15 employees in the team. And, you know, we're going through the classic case of like who you started with doesn't mean who you end with. And, you know, there are some people who are very good starters in an organization. And there are some people who are very good like, okay, once, once you know, you have a foundation, we can take it to grow it. And then there's like, take it to grow it. And then there's like, scale it. And then there's like, operationalize it, right? And those are, sometimes somebody can maybe fill one or two roles, but like, nobody's really that good at covering the whole gamut. If so, like, they're kind of half-assed good at those. And so, you know, just what team people, both like at the earliest stages of a company, during the hard times of the company, during the great times of the company, a lot of times looks a lot different. And so I commend you guys for, you know, obviously having to adjust on the fly. And that's like when when people think about like entrepreneurship is just hard, no matter, even if things are perfect, it's still hard. It's things like that. You, you don't really realize the implications of what change looks like as you grow up, quote unquote, sort of thing. So I, uh, I commend you for sure, because I can only imagine some of the challenges. Well, you just you just made me think of one of our employees who's still with us, um, and he was our first employee as we started to grow. He had um, started at Nordstrom's, had been there, a great floor salesman, moved into loss prevention, and was looking for a position and, and was willing to take a risk on us instead of sitting and earn his unemployment. And and he has got that great talent of you can throw him at something you've never done before and say, go figure it out, report back to us on what we should be doing. And then we can build a process around that. Now, he doesn't like to operationalize the process, not his strong idea. So he's not your rinse and repeat guy. He is your concierge to figure out what we're gonna do guy. Yep. And we still need that. Anytime we wanna expand or try something a little new, we're like, I'll put him on it. He'll come back and tell us what we need to know. Hmm, I love that. That's awesome. And you, 
So you have to know when you've got those people. But at the same time, once that new thing outgrows concierge, we've got to reposition him and bring in other team members who are really good at, at setting up rinse and repeat. So give me the broad scale kind of big picture of like, you know, what, what's sort of the big effective change that you guys want to make? Like, obviously, you know, feel free to share a little bit more about like the product and service, but more importantly, like kind of what's the big picture of what you guys are trying to deliver to the market? Yeah. So this comes back a little bit to how this company came to be. So I had, um, I had gone to undergrad, studied English creative writing, thought I wanted to be a writer. And I'm like, oh, I'm really best driven by external writing press. So not a creative writer as much as I'd like to be. <laughs> I, I, I explored um, a master's degree in education and rhetoric and composition. I was really fond interested in that, but I had been hooked by a class in undergrad on intellectual property. And at some point I was like, I really belong in law school. There's all this new stuff happening. Uh, you know, I was using Mozilla um, and its predecessor. I can't even remember its name. Uh, also started with an M way back <laughs> in 1996. Or, um, using email, Usenet, and like old technology. And I was like, this is really interesting. And there's going to be a lot of interesting problems. So I um, ended up going to law school at Berkeley with some of the leading lights in the field of evolving intellectual property. Mark Lemley was back there then. Pam Samuelson was recently recruited. Um, and so it was just a fascinating place to be on this cusp of technology emerging. Uh, I went from there to Fenwick and West, actually got to work on the Napster case, crafting the copyright defense. And there were just so many fascinating issues. So I was there doing all that stuff. Microsoft recruited me up to, to the Seattle area, which is um, no offense to my family, as close to home as I want to go. Uh, <laughs> home, was, home is Northern Idaho, which is a very beautiful place, but not a lot to do besides farming and ranching. Yep, close enough, but not too close. <laughs> not too close, yes. Yep, yep, I yep. drive over to visit them on a regular basis. Sure. Uh, so then, then I met my husband. We started a family. He decided to run for the state senate. Casually. Uh, casually. and we Wake went, up on Saturday morning and say, what do you want to do today? I don't know, run for senate. It's fine. Yeah, well, part of this was, you know, that, that we have young kids and all of a sudden, like, We'd all, we'd both always been interested in education and now it's real for us. Like we have kids who are going to about, who are going to go through this education system. And he's like, oh, I'll run for state Senate and do something. And, and I was like, uh, I think I'll just start smaller with homeschooling. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, if you can't fix it, join it. <laughs> selecting good, you know, preschools and stuff like that. I ended up running a small homeschool co-op when my kids were three to six, because I had um, one child in particular is a strongly asynchronous learner. So he could sit and explain the invention of automa the automatic coupler in adult level language to his eye doctor while not being able to draw write his name or draw a triangle. Hmm. So a challenging child to educate. Um, in the meantime, my husband was developing landmark education reform. I was in the back kind of going, oh, can you make this change? Can you make this change? <laughs> um, in the Senate, uh, developing what we call in Washington, the Quality Education Council, whose job was to get the data you need to make decisions about 
educational programs because um, he's a data guy. And so out of this co-op that I did, I was like, there are no tools. I'm trying to work with a group of, of six to 10 really asynchronous kids who are all over the map and are nowhere near the same grade level in you know reading as they might be in writing or in math or science and not in the same place with each other. So I'm trying to do these on the fly assessments to figure out where someone is and then put them in the right next level. And the tools are so archaic, they're paper, they're bad online tools. And so I'm coming home going, this is awful. Cause I come from a tech background and I'm like, tech can solve this. Tech can <laughs> help. Tech can take this burden off teachers so they can focus on teaching. Um, and in the meantime, Eric um, was not reelected. And so he was like, well, I always wanted to build something for education. And you clearly have identified something that can be built. We still didn't just go build it. So first rule I want to share with every entrepreneur is don't assume that everyone else wants to build your, wants to buy your idea. So then we went and talked to teachers, did a lot of conversations with teachers and what issues they were running into. And we discovered teachers were hiring developers. They were hiring developers in India and trying to manage them to build apps because this is the beginning of the app store. And it's really getting big in early 2012. And of course, struggle because managing app development is not easy, especially if you don't come from a tech background. Uh, so we we kept digging in and found out what they were trying to turn into an app. And, and finally, we're like, ah, we get it. We know what we need to do. We need to build teachers a platform so that they can build things that look like apps and behave like apps, but don't require them to understand development. So that's what we built. And built into that app is all of this educational research I brought to the table about what do you need to know about student performance? You need to know, did they get it right or did they get it wrong? Yeah, that's obvious. Anyone can do that. But I was coming from an area where you're dealing with asynchronous learners. You don't need to just know if they get it right or get it wrong. You need to know how long it took them to answer the question. Hmm. That piece of data can tell you, are they close to knowing it? Do they know it cold? Are they guessing? Because a fast wrong answer is a guess. A fast right answer is probably knows it cold. And a slow right answer means they're really close to having it solid. So you need time to answer information along with the answer in order to really know what to do next with a kid. And so that's what we delivered to teachers and they started adopting it. And the reason we grew like crazy in 2020 is their word of mouth. We didn't pay for any advertising. We just told our existing customers at the time that we were giving it away free and they told everyone. There was, um, and Kari might jump in and correct some numbers here. There was what was at the time a record setting webinar hosted by um, a society of speech language pathologists. I believe it was 45,000 viewers. Wow. Which they talked about our product on how to deliver speech language therapy remotely via teletherapy during the pandemic to the kids who needed it. I love that. And, and you know, 
one question I guess I would have, and also probably just some of the listeners would, would love is, is most of the platform related to like content creation? You mentioned like asynchronous based learning, or is it more like you're designed to be more hands-on the actual educational process or kind of walk me through a little bit of the differences in that? Yeah. So our platform is, fits in the space of activities, the okay. master space. So there's lots of platforms out there to deliver lesson. You can use our platform to deliver a lesson if you want, but we're in. We decided the space that needed the most help was between lesson and as, and final assessment, where kids are getting their skills solid, where they're practicing on their way to mastery. We're both big believers in mastery education. Neither of us think just doing a worksheet and throwing it in a bin and moving on to the next thing is the right way to learn. Uh, I'm. A, big believer in the philosophy of overlearning, that you practice something till it's cold and then you practice it a little longer so it stays with you for life, especially on those core skills. So so it was built with those things in mind and making sure kids didn't just know it, but they knew the stuff they needed to know cold, cold. And what we found was those activities, that activity-based platform was super valuable for the obvious things like math facts, basic reading skills, learning your digraphs, those types of things, but also really amazing for kids who are learning, you know, how to make a sh sound or a th sound or a th sound, those differences in the th sounds, or need to make an r sound from car, whether they're they're children with a speech impediment, a speech delay, um, new to learning English. All of those children also need supports. And we collaborate with the teachers. We listen to what they say they need and we add it to the platform. So early on, one of the things they said was, can we have audio? Can we have audio supports? So a common material might have an activity where you are finding objects that start with an SH sound, like a ship. And you're searching for those with this little flashlight game where you have to move the flashlight around to find the object. And then during your teletherapy, you'll be saying the word. So you're hearing your, your uh, therapist is hearing you say it. Um, and you're saying the word and you might hear a recorded voice say the word to support your learning. And so these can be done actively when you're with a therapist. They can be done actively in a classroom say you're doing math facts as a group activity or an individual activity, it can also be done at homework. So they're great for homework. If let's say your parent doesn't have the same level of education you do, or maybe has a learning disability and struggles in an area where you're ahead of them, they're self-grading and self-correcting. So crazy thing, we made the sounds ourselves. So we made our whoops sound and our ting the ting is a modified version of a toaster oven ting, um, bing. And kids are weirdly addicted to these sounds. Some kids love the ting, right? Oh, I apologize for that. No worries, all good. Um, that is my daughter. <laughs> uh, so people are really addicted to these sounds. The, the ting for getting it right or the whoops for getting it wrong. There are some kids who are so excited for the whoops that they'll deliberately get everything wrong, which isn't in and of itself a skill, knowing which answers are all the wrong answers, um, or they'll go after the ting. So the, the feedback loop, the automatic 
feedback to the student while they're interacting with the activity about you got it right, you got it wrong is so immensely valuable. Um, you're enough younger than me that maybe you don't have this experience. But I remember growing up, you'd do a worksheet, you'd turn it in. It'd be sent home with a parent on the weekend. It would come back. And maybe two weeks later, you get it back and you see what you got right or wrong. And at that point, you don't even remember what the lesson was. So you're no longer sure why you got it wrong, if you got it wrong. Oh, gosh. I can't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning, let alone what I answered two weeks ago in tests and homework and assignments like that. So I totally get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we wanted, we wanted students to be getting the instant feedback and that opportunity to go talk to the teacher in the moment about what they got wrong. And we have one teacher in Tennessee. She actually pulls up our live reports on her phone when the kids are working on materials and walks around the room. Um, and it shows kind of red and green. So red means the kid's not doing so well. Green, clearly a lot of green, they're doing fine. So she's just looking for her red bars <laughs> and finding those kids as soon as she can to get them redirected and on the right track. I love that. Well, and part of the reason I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually personally pretty fascinated in this is so I, I have, um, I've had seven concussions because uh, of sports. And so I have been through a lot of like neuropsych feedback loops and I've been through like some uh, like speech therapy and things like that just to like kind of, and, and some of the learnings um, I would say are like amazing. And some of them are like, I feel like we're dated back to, you know, 30 years ago. And so it's, it's, it was fascinating to me, uh, you know, on a personal level, kind of hearing about like, you guys are applying, I think some very sophisticated uh, education to folks that, you know, I went through concussions. And so it was a very niche sort of learning sort of to get my brain back to like a normal functioning, whereas you're doing it on the development stage in a really unique way. So I, 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 I think it's amazing what you guys are doing. I totally appreciate the concussion example. My dad um, got to start riding bulls. <laughs> He's never been dinged up. I know that for sure. Yeah. And then someone convinced him that Bronx were a little safer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's been a horse guy forever. So, you know, he's, he's broken things, separated things, concussed things. And then my son just seems to have terrible luck. <laughs> um, last a year ago, January, he got some crazy bug that was going around giving people a vestibular disorder. And he was the lucky one. There was another kid with the same thing who went almost three months not being able to walk straight. For my son, it was three weeks. And then um, some steroids kind of got his brain to, to calm down and let him stand upright. But while he was healing from that, he tripped and fell and got a concussion with two and a half months of school left. And it dinged up his head so much, he did not return full time to the end of his junior year. Uh, you can imagine as a parent who's like, this is a college bound kid. I think that was really stressful. Yeah. That's like, yeah, geez. Yeah, so, you know, you're working with the teachers. You're trying to figure out which classes he can just take a grade in. Now you know, there's some classes he took an alternate grade where he could have got an A he was on track for an A other, you know, so it was just so stressful, but I, I hear you on the concussion and if it affect in his case, it affected vision. But for some people, it affects language, depending on where it is. And if my dad and my son were both going to therapy for speech for a concussion, well, 
they're not going to react to the same material. My dad's going to need something about horses or cows or rodeo or ranching. And my son is all about the trains and World War I, <laughs> Central Eurasia. That's what he's interested in. And therapy's hard. You've been through it. Yep. Yes. You know, practicing sounds over and over again is tedious. Getting, I've had au pairs and one of them really struggled with where to make the R sound. So at some point I'm like, where is your tongue? And <laughs> turns out it's in the top of her mouth. And I'm like, well, Americans don't make an R sound with our tongue in the top and back of our mouth. We make it with it in the front of our mouth. And so it's a, it's a very hard work. You have to think very carefully about where are my muscles? What are they doing? It's tedious. So at least if you're, if you're enjoying whatever you care about and Matt, what do you care about? Um, well, I care about, it's fascinating. You brought up horses. Uh, we're involved in the horse world. Uh, so I care about horses. I care about, uh, I'm a person of faith. Uh, so faith is important to me. Um, and I have, uh, been a part of a number of businesses. And so I would say entrepreneurship and stories around entrepreneurship care, you know, those, that, that means a lot to me too. So I would say those three, and then I've got a bunch of side, you know, sub hobbies, but as far as like, I would say faith, you know, the joys of and excitements of entrepreneurship. And I would say, you know, horses and, you know, sort of uh, uh, the outdoors, hunting, fishing, that all, you know, I would say those three categories are things I really care about. And those are all themes that your therapist could work with with you when you're practicing your skills, because we have like over half a million resources and therapists do a lot of in a single session, they might pull down five to 20 different materials working with someone to keep them engaged. So they would ask you that question I just asked you, and then they would go look for materials that meet your interests to keep you engaged, to help you get over it. And, you know, it'll be anywhere from little kids who are just learning to talk to therapists working with people who are seniors who've had a stroke. And everyone, Everyone needs a reason to care about something hard that they need to do. And, and getting over the, God, it's boring and tedious part is the least you can do to, to get them engaged in their own um, recovery. I love that. So, I mean, with all that you guys have got going on, obviously there's like the never ending conversation around like just education in general, but like, what's like sort of the next step, big swing? Like if you could paint a picture of the influence that you guys had in the space, like what does that look like? We want to keep um, sharing our tools more broadly, particularly with the general education teachers. It's very easier for people to go, oh, you're used heavily by speech or SPED. It's a speech or SPED product. Um, the reason we were adopted so heavily early on by speech and SPED is they recognized that I had built into the engine um, the reporting technology around um, intervention, that it's embedded in how our reports work, you know, that time to answer along with the correct or incorrect answer. A lot of general ed teachers are being hit with being told they need to differentiate. And in an age of cost cutting, sometimes they're getting more and more special ed students being pushed into the mainstream classroom, needing needs, and we have made that, you know, I, 
I don't want to trivialize the word democratize, but we have really tried to democratize access to intervention tools for the general education teacher. So if you're a gen ed teacher and you have 25 kids, you can say, oh, this child isn't ready for the material we're doing today. They have to solve this gap in their learning. I'm going to assign the classes material, but I'm going to unassign it from that child and assign them something different to address their gap so that they can do the material everyone else is doing in a week or two. Mm. And and now that child, everyone's doing their material at the same time, no one knows he's doing something different. He doesn't know he's doing something different. Everyone is working on what they need to get to where they need to be. Yeah, I love that. The tailored education model, I think, is just brilliant. I mean, I think about... uh, I was very good at BSing my way through my education, but I didn't actually learn anything. I was just good at like knowing the right answer to either say or put, but didn't really actually like learn a lot of it. And then now I reflect back on like ways that I enjoy learning now. And I wish I would have, and that, I mean, I amazing teachers, amazing parents. Like it, it just was more like the way I think my brain functioned. Whereas probably had I been pushed in areas that would have been tailored a little bit to like, just the way my brain thinks, I think that would have been, you know, even better. So I, I, I think that's amazing. Well, there's another area we want to help too. So first we want to give all teachers access to these great tools. Cause I really think gen ed teachers should have the same access to these powerful tools as, as their colleagues who do uh, more specialized intervention. But we also need to address the fact that we have a dearth of people entering a field that needs people desperately. Um, We have a shortage of general ed teachers. We have a shortage of special ed teachers. We have a shortage of subject matter specialty teachers. And we have a shortage of therapists, whether it's speech language therapists to help stroke victims, um, occupational therapists to help people recover. We just have shortages. And, you know, some of it's just a, a rule of demographics. But some of it is those workloads are big and heavy and anything we can do to give a tool to people that takes away the tedious kind of mind numbing piece of the work so they can focus on why everyone wants them to do the job and why they want to do the job, which is helping people do better, be better, learn more, uh, is a win. So we really want to support teachers and therapists and able to get people learning and improving and not spending all their time on paperwork and busy work and, and mechanistic mind-numbing activities. I, I, I love that. And, and what, so within the context of both, obviously the business that you guys have built and running, which is just amazing. And obviously, you know, people talk about the educational system and, you know, that there's amazing things and there's things that need to be improved upon. And you guys are taking a step on how do we go about improving this for you beyond just this business, which obviously this plays a role into it, but like, what's like a big influence that you just want to have in the world? Obviously you have been a part of a lot of different things and what you're looking at sort of taking down in the educational space is, is, is amazing, but uh, not, not, but period. Uh, now like broadly thinking, like what's sort of a big impact that you hope to have in the world? Oh, I want people to love learning. I Mm. just want, the love learning. I want to make it easy for people to love learning. It's we are in in a really consumptive culture right now where we get a lot of information, but we don't always learn 
a lot of information. Um, inspiring people's curiosity, their desire to master something new. Those are things I want to see people happening. Uh, I want to take a moment to take a quick plug for anyone out there who is studying to be a teacher or a therapist um, and is curious about our product, interested in mastering it. We do offer it free while you're studying. Uh, and they just need to shoot an email to boomlove at boomlearning.com and we will get them a free subscription to try it out. Because I, I just think we need more curiosity. We need more desire to learn, to master skills. It's just too easy right now in this world where everything's coming in all the time to consume, react, consume, react, but not be someone who produces contributes and makes the world more interesting. Um, I absolutely love that. And then also I will make sure to include in the show notes, uh, the boom learning, um, concept and, and the links that you just shared as well too. So people have access to that. Um, Mary, my favorite question of the planet is what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? And obviously uh, you alluded to the fact that like in the more holistic sense, like helping encourage people to learn. Um, but you know, what, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, for me, I think I said a little earlier, I'm going to repeat it, solving a problem. And what I've learned with this company is I'm solving problems I didn't even know existed. So yeah. I want to take a moment to talk about Calvin University, which is near you. And what they have is they've adopted our product. They use it in their remote therapy um, and their in-person therapy. And they have taken our product and their program and they have this free clinic that's available to people in the community who can't otherwise get access to therapy. And I just love, and they're using it to train their graduate student clinicians. So their graduate students are learning how to be certified SLPs. They're working along certified SLPs and they're helping out people who have speech impairments, whether they're due to strokes or brain injuries like your concussion or kids with delayed language or difficulty articulating words or autism. So it's it's really neat to be part of solutions to problems I didn't even know existed. So that's one of the wonderful things of entrepreneurship is you start out to solve a problem and then you learn that you're helping other people solve problems you didn't know existed. I just love that. That makes me so happy. Inspiring other people to solve problems. Like obviously as an entrepreneur, you're setting out to solve a problem, but part of your, you know, uh, not just as a idea, but like as a business owner, one thing you're supposed to do is help empower and equip other people to solve problems too. So I think that's a, I think that's an amazing idea. Now I do have to say of all schools you could have brought up, Calvin was my number one rival. Uh, I went to hope. And so, you know, the Hope college Calvin rivalry. So, you know, of course you had to bring that one up, but no, Calvin, Calvin's an amazing place. And I have got a lot of friends who go there. So I, I love, I love the reference too. Um, Mary, I'll make sure to include in the show notes, obviously, uh, links to, uh, you know, uh, website links to uh, more about the boom learning um, for people that want to follow along uh, more about what you guys are doing and more about you. What's the best way for them to get in contact, follow along, uh, hear more about some of the work that you guys are doing. Yeah. A great way to just learn more about us is at info I N F O dot boom learning.com. Uh, you can also get there from www.boomlearning.com. If you want to play with the product and dive in, I'm that kind of person. Um, 
the product, the app is at wow.boomlearning.com. Love it. Love it. Well, I'll make sure to include all that. Um, Mary, this has been fantastic. I can't thank you enough, um, both for being a guest on this podcast, but e- even deeper than that, like more broadly, the impact you're having on helping people learn. And uh, these are certainly some tools that um, I wish I had access to, uh, but also want to make sure that I can do what I can to promote what you guys have going on. So just want to say a huge thank you. Oh, thank you for chatting with me. I really enjoyed this. I love talking about entrepreneurship and growing a company. So anytime. Awesome. Mary, thank you so much. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well, too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.